Okay, you guys, here we go. She Runs Ultras episode number 39. And I am really excited about this one because it's all about shoes. <laughs> I put out the call on social media to all of you guys for your questions about running shoes and you guys seriously came through. We got something like 25 questions and Ted and I did our best to answer them all. So this episode is jam-packed with info and tips that you can use to make smart footwear decisions. So a couple of the biggest questions that you'll hear us answer in this episode are, What are some of the biggest mistakes we make when it comes to selecting shoes? How do we know if the fit of the shoe is right for us? Should we have separate shoes for road versus trails? And the big one, the mother of all running shoe questions, how often should we get new shoes? So let's just jump right in because I know that you're excited to hear all of this. Here is my chat with Ted McGreer of Ted's Shoe and Sport. Okay, you guys, here we go. She runs ultras. And today I have asked my friend Ted to come and talk about running shoes. And we got so many questions, you guys, when I put it out over email and Instagram that I was going to talk to Ted. He is my uh, covert expert. He's not really covert, but I kind of keep him in the back in my back pocket. When I ever have a shoe question, I reach out to Ted and we got so many questions and we're not going to be able to answer them all. But We've kind of picked through the list and chosen, I would say, maybe like a half a dozen to a dozen questions that were going to kind of give us the foundations of running shoes, like selection, the ins and outs, and all of that jazz. But before we kind of dive into that, Ted, I would love for you to say hi to everybody and kind of give us the background on who is Ted and how did you get into the shoe industry and what are you up to these days and like what makes you an expert? Like why... Why are you here? Why why do you have so much amazing knowledge about shoes that you're going to share with us? Oh, gosh. Well, thank you. Hi, everybody. Uh, yeah, my name is Ted McGreer. I own Ted's Shoe and Sport here on Main Street in Keene. Uh, I opened the store here in 1999. Uh, in the 21 years that I've been in business, I think I've fitted over a half a million people's feet with footwear. Uh, maybe that's not just running. That's a lot of feet. Um, but I, I got into this business. I was a triathlete. I, I lived out in Colorado and uh, I got a job as a, a boot fitter for the U.S. ski team. So I was fitting ski boots, alpine ski boots, and working with a lot of physicians out there and became uh, kind of into the, you know, into the elite level um, ski racing kind of boot fitting techniques, which were um, deep and um, complex. And so I learned an awful lot about foot ankle uh, mobility and, and technologies and orthotics and, and became a pedorathist. So I got to start casting orthotics for walkers and runners and cyclists and all kinds of people. But in 99, I came back to New Hampshire and opened up my store here on Main Street. And really, we were a sporting goods store at the time. And we've kind of morphed into, I would say, a really running specific store with a, a real medical twist. So we, a lot of what we do is uh, fill doctor's prescriptions. We have, you know, diabetic folks coming in, arthritic feet situations where, um, you know, people aren't necessarily runners, but they're coming in to go through that process. So um, yeah, I've, I've worked with New Balance. I've design, designed and developed uh, several models for them. Um, I'm in the process of de- developing my own shoe brand right now, which is a, just a comfort casual line. But I build shoes from the ground up. I build products and, and uh, I just love to help people. So thank you for having me. Well, we're excited to have you because I think like when it comes to shoes or when it comes to running, I should say, shoes are like a huge topic. And not only with my 
myself personally, with my one-on-one clients and in my running group, I get tons of questions about shoes. And some of them I can answer from like a personal experience perspective, but some of them are more along the lines of the kind of the build and the construction like you were just talking about. So I think that makes you kind of like a really great fit for this, for this particular episode to be able to kind of help us kind of navigate the running shoe water. So I just want to kind of kick things off here. So when it comes to selecting running shoes, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see maybe runners specifically making when it comes to selecting those shoes? So like I come into your store, maybe I come in with a preconceived notion of what I want. Maybe I don't, but like, what are some of the pitfalls or the mistakes that you see people making? Um, So I love this question. And my answer to this question, Megan, has changed, I would say, over the last four years, because um, for the first 15 years I was in this business, we had these silos, right? So we had, you know, if you have a high arch, rigid foot, you need a neutral shoe. If you have a low arch or flexible foot, you need a stability shoe. If you have flat feet, you need a motion control shoe. So we had these silos for different foot shapes and foot heights, arch heights, right? But really what we've learned is that... um, pronation um, and angulation from the ground really can happen from the hip to the knee to the foot and not really just a foot and ankle, what I call a hinge assessment. So, you know, um, as it relates to the biggest mistakes, I think the one thing I have to say I, I struggle with greatly is that we as runners watch shoe reviews. We read shoe reviews. So I'm going to see a shoe review that some dude's doing out in Colorado about this new trail shoe. And and I'm thinking, wow, he loves it. It's super cushiony. It's better than the old version. You know, they put more rugged overlays on it. It's got a better tread. But, you know, the problem is my foot doesn't look like this. You know, it's not pointy. My foot is square. Well, it's never going to fit in the same shoe that he loves. So the shoe review thing is just, to me, it's a real misnomer. It's a mistake that we make. Um, and, you know, I think really listening to what other people love for shoes, while that's helpful, we all have such different feet. And so really it's just about the fact that we have to understand that everyone's different and that we have to just put our feet into shoes and let our proprioceptors kind of do the work. Um, so I hope that answers that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's good. And you bring up a couple good points. And so for, you know, people listening, like they will obviously know that uh, my business is in, you know, coaching runners, but also working with runners on their movement. And you bring up a good point that it's not just, you know, your foot, it has a lot The type of shoe that you need has a lot to do with your overall body, how it moves, where it doesn't move well. And so it's less about necessarily what you know, aesthetic you like, or what brand you might be drawn to. It's more about can we find the shoe that's appropriate for your foot and what you're going to do. You know, a lot of people are hesitant, I think, going to a running shoe store sometimes because they kind of just want to like browse or maybe like look on their own. But if you were going to give people some help in like steering them, should they go to the, you know, big box store that has like a lot of shoes in it? Or are they better off going to a place like Ted's where, you know, you guys are predominantly running shoes and you can, you know, can kind of help them? Like, where are they best served? Well, I mean, obviously, you know my answer, but but I, I'm going to kind of come through the backside to answer it for you. And, and Megan, you know, as in the running community, we think about um, the events that we take part of. We think about um, the community that we're uh, involved with. We think about our towns and um, you know, local running stores are 
are paying taxes and they're employing people and they're putting races on and they're they're creating a running community. So I think it's really important to try to support running stores if we can. You know, the, the big box store, if, if you know exactly what shoe you want, it hasn't been updated, it doesn't, it's not a new model. Sure, if the box store is closer to you, you got to do what's best for you if that's working for you. But the minute that shoe updates, you never know what happens. And, and really between those two, um, I guess, classifications of buying shoes, the third one is the online piece, right? And, and so you can just go to Brooks or Ultra or Nike and, and buy your shoes and have them in two days. And, and the question is, does Jeff Bezos need any more money? And does, does Nike need any more money? I, I think the answer we all know. But, um, you know, the, the one thing that our industry has done recently, which is helpful, and, and I get the fact that shoes are expensive now. I totally respect it. And, um, you know, if you're going through shoes every two or three months, it starts to add up. But um, really, the, the one thing that's happened in our industry, Megan, is that the, the companies have created a, um, an advertising price policy so that, you know, the, the brand new um, Brooks Cascadia just came out. It's $130 on brooksrunning.com. It's $130 on Amazon. It's $130 at Run Specialty. So there's an even playing field. The price is going to be the same if it's a new model. And so really, it comes down to what um, what the consumer or our friends watching here feel most comfortable with. And, and I know that there's a lot of running stores where you've got high school students that are maybe runners and, and they've tried a bunch of shoes on in the back room and they think, oh, this new Hoka is, this, is just so great for me. And so they kind of maybe put some heat on the customer to buy it. And um, uh, I can't speak for other running stores about that, but I've heard horror stories with that. And um, I certainly respect it. But I think we, if anything that you all hear today is that, you know, you have to wear the shoes that you're putting on. And so, A, there should be no break in and B, just take the time to just try them and feel them. And just immediately, if they're comfortable, that's a win. Nothing should have to change after you try them on. They should feel perfect the day you put them on. So this this brings up a really good point, and it's actually kind of one of the questions on our list is, you know, you're, we're talking about the fit process and the people that are helping you with the fit process. So can you kind of talk to us about, you know, how, like, what are the what are the things that you or your people that are doing the fits are looking for to help people assess like whether or not a shoe is actually, I'm using air quotes here, you guys can't see me, but like a good fit versus just, you know, feeling okay. Like this is just an okay shoe versus, oh yeah, this one I really think is going to work for me. Like kind of walk us through maybe like what your guys do. Yeah. You know, Megan, um, I, I love it. Um, I love the question because really we look at the the opportunity to work with someone in on our floor as um, as a needs assessment really and and I it's a eight or ten question kind of Q and A that we offer with with anybody coming in but really one of the things I ask a lot of people is you know if you could have the perfect shoe under your foot what would it feel like would it be close to the ground and nimble would it be something that you don't feel so much impact with you know that you know high stack height super cushiony shoe um, would it be super lightweight I mean what what is it you're looking for to feel and that way we can have these kind of tools to go out in our back room and not bring out 12 different shoes and confuse the heck out of you but we can bring out three or four and let you play around with it and and I like to personally put one shoe on your right foot and the different shoe on your left and then maybe swap them around just kind of get your brain firing a little bit and and see what that feels like but um you know i guess getting back to the thing about buying shoes at a run specialty store is that as an owner you know i live in a small town i have to go to the same grocery store as as everybody else does in my my community and 
if I had a customer who had a bad experience or, or just wasn't overly happy, you know, I have to make that right. And, and that's the difference between, I, I think, buying at a big box store or where you're just kind of a number or buying online. So, you know, if you've ever bought shoes at a run store and you've had a tough experience, I think it's so important to provide that feedback because we can't, as retailers, get better. And really, our, our lifespan is, is kind of numbered, right? Brick and mortar stores are struggling right now. So well, not just because of COVID, but we know that the trends. So do I really encourage you to go to the owners, go to the managers and just say, hey, listen, this didn't work. And guess what? Our vendors usually take these shoes back. So Megan, if I sold you a pair of shoes and you ran in them for a couple of weeks and you're like, Ted, it just didn't work for me. We're going to do the right thing. And we just have to live with that. So I think that's really important. But, you know, the needs assessment is key. And, and really this for me, I like to just kind of back off a little bit because I'll always say, I don't have to wear this shoe and you know, you have to kind of help me, help me understand how you're feeling. I'm not going to reach into your pocket and take your wallet and, and pay for these. You have to make that decision. But if there's a, a, a um, you know, if, if there's been a pattern of injury, if there's been some issues with the chain, if you've had plantar fasciitis, if you've got issues with, you know, forefoot pain, you know, we can offload things. We can change the way your foot sits in a shoe. We can do a lot of different things, stretch the width of a shoe or, or cut a hole for the pinky. I mean, we'll do whatever, you know, anything like that. But I think the needs assessment has to be really um, detailed, but not not overly, you know, let's not overly think this thing. Let's, let's not over, you know, let's oversimplify is what I like to say. Um, instead of just making people overthink the shoe, because at the end of the day, it's just foot cover, right? And it's just, it's got to be comfortable right away. And I think that's a really good point. I like how you call it a needs assessment versus like a shoe fit, because it's been my experience with the runners that I work with. A lot of times they come into either a one-on-one coaching scenario or a group program that I'm offering, and we go through a whole bunch of movement stuff. And they're often asking me, where should I feel it? And I'm like, well, I'm not in your body. Where are you feeling it? And let's like work through this process. So I would imagine that you probably get people that come into the store that try on shoes that are like, and then like your guys ask the, the runner, how does it feel? And they answer with, I don't know, how should it feel? <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if that's a real thing, but I'm sure that that I would have to imagine that that happens somewhere. So it's more about the runner, the person buying the shoes, understanding what feels good to them. And then sometimes I feel it can be difficult because I've definitely been in this position. You put on a shoe and some aspects of it feel really good. Some aspects of it don't. And this is where I typically get hemmed up. And as you know, I love ultras. Those have been my shoes. But you know, they change style to style and year to year. So I don't know if you have any insight on that, because I'd be curious about that because you have designed shoes, but, and I know that they have to, but I think we as runners get frustrated by this process because we fall in love with the shoe and it works for us. And then we come back the next year and it's completely different. so frustrating isn't it it's it's i i use the car analogies a lot you know it's just why do why do they feel like they have to make these changes you know and then and then designers move from one company to another so i have a podiatrist who sends a lot of patients to us and he sends them in for asics every day he says go to ted's and buy a pair of asic shoes because they really fit wide 
oh, he hasn't seen ASICs lately because they don't fit wide. They're the narrowest shoe in my store. So, you know, um, it, it is interesting when things change like that. It is frustrating. You know, the one thing I'll, I'll, I've got some fun parts and pieces, but, you know, this this right here is, is called a midsole. Right. And the material on the top is the upper and the tread is the outsole. But the midsole is usually if, if you have, um, let's say, the Ultra Olympus 2 and then the 3 is about to come out, you know, bring your shoe into that running store and, and let people kind of look at your wear pattern on the outsole, but see if the lines in that midsole are identical to the two, right? So when version three comes out, if it's the same sole unit, the good news is they didn't change the template. But if they change the sole unit, yeah, you've got to start all over again. It is frustrating. So just for people listening, I want to just point out, Ted, that what you're holding up is basically the bottom of the shoe, the rubber that the you know, leather or mesh upper is sitting on top of, right? Yeah. yeah, it's the midsole. This is the most important part, the element that absorbs impact and that propels you forward. So every shoe has a midsole. And um, when those change, the shape of the shoe changes. So if you've had the, the Ghost 19 and it goes to Ghost 20, if you notice that the lines and, and the mold itself changed, then you got to start fresh. But a lot of times when they make an update, they use the same sole unit and usually the last, uh, the last is the, the, the mold that the shoe is built on. This is a last um, stays the same. So that's a good thing. If you've had good luck with the, the ghost 14, you go to the 15 chances are it's going to be just an upper change or a, a color change, but no, I'm with you. It's so frustrating when, when companies change shoes and, and that's our job to kind of help guide people in that process. And, um, I'm always an email away to answer those questions. If somebody's had a model and they want to know what's going to happen with the update, I see shoes a year ahead of time. So we've already ordered fall 2023 shoes. So we've already seen the update. Yeah. So it's crazy. That's so far in advance. I didn't know that. I knew, you know, I know about product products a little bit in terms of, you know, how, how long in advance it takes to actually ideate and create and iterate and, you know, do all the eights and make it and make it ready for the next year. But I guess I just didn't even think that 2023 would be your orders would already be in, but that's cool. So, and we'll definitely um, at the end or in the show notes, we can kind of give your contact info if you want for people to be able to ask questions or, you know, get some insider information if they're looking for some shoes. Love it. And, and you guys, I, I totally geek out with this stuff. So if you send me an email, I'm, I respond in like 30 seconds and, I'm, and I might overcomplicate it, but I love to respond and talk, uh, talk shoe tech with people. So it's my pleasure to do that. And I can, I can uh, confirm that because Ted and I have been known to geek out over like foot mechanics and like strengthening feet and toes uh, for like half an hour, 45 minutes, like just on a whim. So <laughs> The one thing, though, I wanted to add about about the needs assessment and the process is that, you know, um, there's still a lot of there's still a lot of training that goes on with um, staff at run stores about um, those silos. And again, um, you know, just because you have a flexible foot doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be injury prone. It doesn't mean, you know, over pronation, there's no data anywhere that says pronation causes injuries. So remember that when you see all this stuff out there, over pronation is bad. No, it's not bad. It's normal. Pronation is okay. So, you know, just remember this stuff that you don't need to be put into a silo. You, you have a low arch, you need a stability shoe. Those days are gone. 
right? And, and thank God for companies like V-Room and Ultra and, and Topo and all these companies that allow the foot to splay and let the intrinsic muscles do their thing. We've learned so much about not stopping the foot what it, from what it naturally wants to do. Um, and, and we know you and I've talked, that's not for everybody, right? We know some people just can't run in that type of shoe, but, um, but just remember pronation is not evil. It's okay. And just for people listening, can you just define pronation for us? Yeah, pronation is just that inward roll of the foot where it just kind of, you know, the tripod kind of just falls inward a little bit. It just means that you have a flexible arch or what I call a normal arch, you know, and it's um, it's not a bad thing. Now, it can, it can lead to, uh, to your point, it can lead to alignment issues. But, you know, so much of what's happening at, at the foot can be changed by hip strengthening and pelvic stability and, and working on all that stuff up top that you handle. So, um, you know, again, just don't let those silos get in the way of, finding a shoe that feels great for you. But how do you feel about people that are kind of coming in with a really narrow kind of point of view on what they want? Like, are you able to help them kind of expand and see that, oh, there's all these other possibilities? Or do you really just try to stick to that one specific request? No, I, I love that. I love how you just created that question because I have 12 people that work here. They're not allowed to work on my floor until they've had 300 hours of what I call education. So, um, uh, and I've got some elite runners that work here and I've got some um, really just great people and, and um, some medical focused employees too. And I, I spend an awful lot of money paying people to sell sneakers and it's great because I can't help everybody. Um, but I'm really, I'm really just blessed to have a great staff. And I think the one thing, Megan, that, that resonates with your question is that if somebody's mindset was, I, I want to go in and get a trail shoe, but that they're starting to think, well, maybe, maybe I don't need a trail shoe because I'm going to do a little bit of this or that. I, that part of that needs assessment is what surface are you on? And, and if you're on both surfaces, what percentage are you? Are you 50% trail and 50% road? Because then we'll get you a hybrid shoe or, or, what does waterproof mean to you? Do you want a waterproof shoe? Do you, I mean, it's, it's, it's September. It's end of August. Do we really want hot, clammy feet right now? Maybe not, right? So, I mean, just having those questions um, really helps kind of open up that thought process for people. And, and I think, too, the other point about running specialty stores is that if we don't have it in our store, we have to compete with online. So we have to react quickly. And if your goal was to get a trail shoe, I mean, I, I don't necessarily want to change that, but it's important to talk about the surfaces. And then if I don't have it, damn it, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it here quickly. So um, that has to happen. Yeah. There's so many different models and types for men and women and kids. Like there, I know people know this, but there is almost virtually no way that you could carry everything that every brand offers in the stock required. So being able to, you know, order things and like I've ordered shoes from you guys and you've shipped them to me, like, you know, and, and so that I don't have to come all the way back to the store. I mean, it's not that far. It's only half an hour for me, but you know what I mean? Um, for those of us that kind of live out in the boonies, we don't always have immediate access to a, a big running store that can offer that kind of level of service. So it's great when you do have a place like Ted's where you can, you know, if they don't have it, they can get it for you. They can order it and they can ship it to you. So I, I do want to give you a round of applause on that. Cause that has, has come in handy for me on more than one occasion. So, um, I think one of the things that you touched on here that's important that we go back to is this idea of having uh, a shoe for certain occasions. And one of the questions that we did get was, should we have separate shoes for road versus trails? Um, you kind of you kind of answered that, but can you go a little bit deeper on like when would when it when would it be appropriate for us to have 
a separate pair for road and a separate pair for trail. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good idea to have a couple of different shoes in your rotation. I mean, the shoes will last longer that way. Um, your your legs and feet will be a, a little fresher if you mix it up a little bit. I think it's um, it's always wise to do that. But you know what, if you're ultimately the, the old fashioned mindset with trail shoes is that where you were closer to the ground, you were a little bit more stable, um, you had a little bit more of a mountain bike tread on the bottom of the shoe. And that's changed a lot with, with, you know, big stack heights and Hoka and Saucony and Ultra is even making some big, thick cushion shoes now. Um, but, you know, I think the question that has to be asked is what percentage are you going to be running on trail versus road? And, and if it's going to be a trail day, well, I, I would put on a pair of trail shoes. I mean, if it's going to be a, a hybrid day, I think that most people can get by pretty good with a road shoe. So, um, Wintertime running is is almost uh, most people always just buy trail shoes for slushy, wet, crazy sidewalks, even if they're on the road, because th- those stack heights have changed, which means the shoe now absorbs more road impact than it used to. You know, trail shoes used to be so close to the ground, like eight millimeters off the ground. So um, I think it's just a, a wise idea to have a couple different shoes in your quiver. I mean, it's, um, you know, we have mountain bikes for the mountain and road bikes for the road, right? So this, the same thing holds true. Yeah, totally. Um so having, can you explain to us what, like why you should have, even if you have, let's say you're exclusively a trail runner, what are the benefits to having a couple different pairs of shoes that you rotate through? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, if you're, um, if you're a trail runner and you, maybe you found your model, maybe, you know, like to your point, you're, you're, you've got a pair of Timbs and a pair of Olympus. Um, it's just good to change your foot location sometimes too, right? So some of these shoes have a thicker stack underneath your heel or, or more drop, which we're going to talk about. Um, but just, you know, uh, the more the foam packs down from compression, which we know is, you know, maybe six to eight months, four or 500 miles, whatever kind of comes first there. Once that pack out occurs, you start to feel it, right? You feel your legs, your knees, your, your feet, ankles get a little sore. You know, your shoes are dead. Um, and, and we'll obviously talk about that too, but allowing that shoe to kind of recover in your closet while you're in your road shoe, your gravel shoe the next day, um, kind of brings the foam back to life. So you do get a little bit more life out of this foam. And at the end of the day, it's just, that's what it is. It's air filled, super soft EVA. It's ethyl vinyl acetate. It's, it's, it compresses. And it's the other thing that a lot of people don't realize is that it's, it's water-based, right? There's air injected into these foams. And so when you put a shoe on a diet and you buy a seven ounce shoe, well, that shoe is so light, it's not going to last as long as a, as a nine ounce shoe. So, you know, some of these shoes are so much lighter than they used to be that I think we have to be um, cognizant of the fact that, you know, once that shoe compresses, then it's not as stable. It starts to kind of rotate your foot off and then you can lead into, into ankle sprains and twisting. And um, I think it's just important to kind of freshen up that quiver every probably six months, to be honest. Yeah, that, that's good that you brought that up because that was one of the questions too, is like, how long should we wear them? When should we rotate them out? So you're saying six to eight months, depending on how often you use that shoe, or if you're tracking miles between four and 500 miles, you think? Well, and so much of that depends on the shoe, right? So, I mean, if you're in a super light four ounce trail racing shoe, you're not going to get 500 miles out of that shoe, unless you're, you know, 80 pounds and, and you hover off the ground. You might, but, but really, um, it just depends on, on that type of shoe. And if it's got a, a really kind of a durable midsole, maybe, maybe you're more efficient than I am. Maybe you get 600 miles out of it. But, you know, you don't go too far in your shoes because, you, you know, we all want to keep going. We don't want to get hurt. So. 
So one of the trends that uh, I that you probably have a love hate relationship with is this whole zero drop thing, right? Um, which I am a fan of, but I, it took me, you know, a little bit of time to kind of transition into it. But I think we, you know, you and I have talked about this where when like the Vibram five toes came out and everybody just immediately went to barefoot running. I mean, this is like, this is a few years ago, but then you started, you know, some people made that transition well, their, their bodies handled it well. Some people didn't, but we're still kind of seeing, and actually even in the last six months or so, I've had clients in my group programs ask about zero drop. And, you know, what do you think about these shoes? And should I change and whatever, but I think there are still some people who don't quite know what the term zero drop means. So can you kind of help define it for us? And then like, talk about what the benefits or the drawbacks are to having that that kind of a shoe? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the, the challenge when you go to a run store or you see a shoe online, right, when you look at this shoe, we, we immediately see this foam and we say, wow, look at how all that extra foam there. Our heel is not sitting up on top of this foam, nor and the ball of our foot's not on top of this foam either. We're probably down inside here somewhere, right? So this is kind of a, a bucket seat. And when you look at this little midsole cutaway, if you look right here, you can see that my hand goes like down at least a centimeter into the platform of the foam. So, you know, this cutaway is a, is a good, I guess, description of what isn't zero drop. The thickness of where your heel sits or what we call the stack height. So from the tread to where your insole sits in most running shoes has always been 24 millimeters in the heel and 12 millimeters in the ball of the foot. So you've got this 12 millimeter downhill ramp, right? You can see the ramp. And so when you've got this downhill ramp, you've got more foam under your heel to absorb that extra impact. It encourages heel striking, which I'm sure you guys have all read about heel striking. That, that force on the body is it's six times your body weight, heel striking. So this is 2412, a 12 millimeter downhill ramp. Right. And this Hoka shoe, this Speed Goat, which is a really great trail shoe for a lot of people, looks like it's got a ton of, of drop to it, but it actually only has four millimeters. So it's hard to measure the drop when you just look at this foam on the midsole. But, you know, here's a really nice new ultra road shoe called the Paradigm. I mean, you can't look at this foam and think that that's where your where your heel is sitting. Right. This is a zero drop shoe. So the heel height of the foam is the exact same as the ball of the foot. And so zero drop means that you're replicating being barefoot, right? So you've just basically just put a little bit of padding under your foot, but you didn't tip the heel up. Um, you're just keeping the foot the same as it was when it was barefoot. And what does that do? Well, it encourages way better posture, A, right? It encourages much better running form because it's kind of allowing you to land more in the middle of your foot. And while we know that as we fatigue, our form falls apart, we know that a lot of people revert to heel striking as we as we get tired. I mean, I have a, a guy here that works for us who's, uh, you know, he runs 440 miles and he can do it 10 miles in a row. <clears throat> but at mile five, he's striking his heel. So super elite runner. But as we fatigue, we strike our heel. We know that. But if you thought about it for a second of, of just taking your shoes off and running two miles down the road to the grocery store, just just run somewhere two or three miles with no shoes on, no socks. You're not going to strike your heel anywhere. You're not going to, you, your body will not allow you to, right? You're going to bruise your heel bone. You're going to fracture your calcaneus. It'll be terrible. So where are you going to land? You're going to land up in the middle of your foot. So you're going to shorten your stride. You're going to be more compact. You're going to stay within your space bubble. And that's really what zero drop shoes have allowed people to do. Um, and not only have they allowed that, but they've also 
gotten really kind of clever with the shape of the toe box. So, you know, I'm sorry, this is going to be a really tough shoe to fit a lot of feet in. And you look at the shape of this shoe, which is more oblique, and it allows that foot shape to sit in there. So, I mean, you can see the two soles. It's, it's night and day different, right? And so look down at your foot. If you love to wear Birkenstocks, and that's an oblique shaped shoe, kind of like this, chances are the shape of that Birkenstock handle is going to be really similar to an Ultra. <clears throat> and there's a few companies making this kind of oblique shape now, which, you know, it's it's not a fashion statement. <laughs> you know, these are great running shoes, but the shape of your foot <clears throat> needs to match the shape of the shoe. And I think that's important too, because oftentimes, I think some of us are guilty at some point along the way of just choose, choosing the shoe that looks the best, like the one that is the prettiest, that has the most vibrant colors. Like I'm definitely guilty of having done that in the past. And I still do it now only just like within a certain, you know, limited number of shoes. But um, I've learned over the years that I do much better when I have that wider toe box and I do the zero drop and I've gotten better at kind of identifying the spots um, ahead of time, like when I first initially try on a shoe that could be potential problem points down the line. My current issue with some of my shoes is that the, and I don't know if you can, this is another on the fly kind of um, question, but the, the angle of the heel, right? The, the, upper of the heel is sometimes pitched so far forwards that I get this rubbing right on the, you know, right on my Achilles. Yeah. Kind of like that, how it's like rounded forwards. You guys can't see, but he's holding up that, um, Hoka speed goat again. And the back of the heel is very much this kind of gentle C curve that, <clears throat> excuse me, angles back in towards your Achilles. And that for me has been the biggest issue of late. Like, <coughs> excuse me, I will wear out the back of that heel cup on the, you know, upper back of my Achilles long before I wear out the shoe. So, you know, I don't know what you think about that, but that's my current issue with a few of the, you know, ultras that I have. That's interesting, Megan, the, um, you know, I, I almost call them these little mouse ears, right? And, and as, as you kind of toe off, your Achilles has hits this and it, and it can absolutely irritate a lot of people. You've seen a lot of shoes where they've got this new like spoiler. The heel cup has this, uh, the top of the Achilles kind of flares back to, to take some pressure off the foot. Um, uh, you know, a lot of companies are, are kind of me too designers that, well, if Nike's doing it, we need to do it. And, and so you'll see New Balance do it. And all these companies are flaring out the heel now or, or reducing the plastic that's inside there. And that's called a heel counter. And that heel counter is as important about keeping your foot stable in the shoe um, as almost any device inside the shoe. So that hard plastic heel counter is um, is crucial. But if it rubs you the wrong way, you're going to get injured. And, oh, by the way, if, you, if you're in a hurry and you go for a run and you take your shoes off and you don't untie them, you step on the back of the shoe to, to lift it off your foot, you're going to break the heel counter. We saw a 13-year-old kid slice his Achilles tendon because of that. So he had, he had a huge plastic piece that was coming out of the shoe and he went for a run and it sliced him open. So yeah, it's, it's important to untie your shoes when you take them I off. Know. I know that's a big thing for you. I think you saw me do that once in the store and you called me out on it. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. Yeah. I, in my defense, those shoes were already trashed. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't, they weren't my new shoes. I always untie my new shoes, but the old ones that are already thrashed, sometimes I'm guilty of not untying them. <laughs> you know, Megan, we, we talked about, um, you know, your ultras or your wider toe box shoes. And that's really, I want you guys to think a lot about 
the time that you're on your feet when you're when you're running. I mean, Megan, you were out for how many hours the other day on your feet? Uh, the other day was six, six hours the other day. Yeah. So mile one, 10 minutes in, your foot's a whole lot different looking than it is at six hours. We know that, right? We also know that it's good to buy shoes later in the day because your feet are more swollen. Or maybe after you've gone for a six hour run, it's a good time to try shoes on. But <clears throat> I made these little molds and, and this is a, this is a size seven foot mold right here of a foot that is not weight bearing. Okay. And this is the exact same foot with weight. Holy okay. cow. You guys can't, if you're listening on the podcast, you can't see this, but what do you think, Ted? That's 25% it's about a, size, a size and a half elongation. Yep. Yeah. It's, so, it's a marked difference. Yeah. So when, when your foot's off the ground, it's, I mean, depending on how much your foot elongates, right? Or see, we talked about that inward roll of pronation, that, that elongation of the foot. Um, it's way bigger when it lands. So, you know, you just, um, I, I think that leads me to this discussion about having that room in the toe box to, to splay your toes. And the old adage about having a thumbnail in front of your toe, like when you fit your children with shoes, you, you want some room for growth. And, and a lot of us have this kind of mentality of how we like shoes to fit. I personally like a half a thumbnail in front of my toe, but running downhill, I mean, if you don't keep your toenails trimmed, we, we probably all lost ours, right? Um, and so that's maybe a little bit of a personal preference because if you go a half size longer, then you might get some heel slippage. And that's important to, to kind of evaluate that when you try shoes on. But well, when you put a new shoe on, <clears throat> first of all, there's no consistency from brand to brand as far as the number. So if you've always been a nine and you're going to try a different brand, you may or may not be a nine. So don't let that number skew your feeling and your fit. Um, but when you lift up your heel and you keep the ball of your foot on the ground, I want you to look at where the shoe breaks. And at the base of the tongue, at the very first uh, eyelet where, where the laces are, you want that shoe to break at the base of the tongue, not farther in front of your toes. And if the shoe kind of flexes and bends too far forward in front of your toes, it's too big. It's too long a shoe. Mm, and That is such a good right? teaching point. Yes. So they do grow a little bit. Shoes, we know that the insoles will compress and, and the shoe becomes a little deeper on our foot. It isn't that this mesh really stretches. It's that we sink into the shoe in time and we've got more room. So um, just keep in mind, right at the base of the tongue, we want the shoe to break there um, because then you'll have a good form fit. That is such a good, uh, that's such a good tip, Ted, because I think I have always... You know, I think almost everybody could probably relate to that thumb width, you know, in the toe box, like the lengthwise um, measurement, like, how do you know if it's too big or not? But that bending, um, maybe what I'll do is like pull out that little bit of a clip and, and put it up on Instagram so people can see it, like what you're actually talking about as a reference point. But that is definitely a really good thing for people to think about when they're buying shoes and trying to evaluate. Yeah, right there. The other the other really great way to... Um to just kind of get a sense of how you're, how you're going to feel about the shoes that you get. And whether you're in a running store or, or maybe, maybe some high school kids like, you're going to love these. These are amazing, but you're not so sure. Just remember, you have to make this decision. So what I want you to do is if you put a shoe on and you're saying, hmm, I, I, maybe this feels pretty good, but I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure yet. Um, maybe I'm not sure about the size and you press down your, you know, you're checking your toe yourself and you can't, you really, it, it's tough to just press on the toe, right? What I tell people to do is reach into the shoe and take the insole out of the shoe, place it on the ground, place your foot on it, and there's your evaluation of length, right? If, you're to, if you have a thumbnail in front of your toe, you're golden. But don't try to press on the shoe and check where your toe is. It never works. Take the insert out, stand on it, line up the heel, and that'll tell you about your size. 
much better way to do it. That's another good Ted, just dropping knowledge bombs here. This is so good. I think people will, hopefully people will leave this episode feeling like they are better equipped when they go to their running start. This, this right here, the, the footbed fit test is amazing with children's shoes. So if you're, if you're bringing your kids to get fitted for shoes, take the insole out. It's a great way to get room for growth and just place their feet on these. Oh, so good. Yeah. Cause it's hard enough to get, not that I have kids, but I've been with my nieces and nephews, like trying to get them to put on their shoes and assess whether, you know, whether they're growing out of those shoes or not. And you're trying to push on them. Like how much room do you have in there? You know, they're like, they're too tight, but they've got room. It's just like a, it's a whole thing. So, but I hope that people will like leave this episode feeling like they have some tools that they can use to go and kind of make better decisions. And I have definitely had experiences myself, and I'm sure all of the listeners have, where they've gone to buy new shoes and maybe they've been like intimidated going into the store. They feel like they haven't had a good, and I'm not talking about Ted specifically, but just any general running store. Um, They don't feel like they have the knowledge or the wherewithal to make a good decision about what shoe and then they get kind of steered towards something and they end up leaving with the thing because like you said you there's an a zealous um sales clerk that has tried on all these shoes and they have a real um penchant for whatever one they're pushing but one of the things that I've seen recently, and again this is a uh off the cuff question here are and I don't know the name of them But I recently went into a running store and they had this like, it looked like a little space pod that you step in and it measures, it does some crazy magic and it measures your feet. And then that's what's telling people what either shoes they should get or insoles they should get. And I will, I will freely admit that there was a young gentleman who was fitting a very young girl. So this, the, the salesman was probably like, I don't know, in his twenties maybe. And there were a set of parents, some other father and their 12 year old daughter who was a cross country runner. And she was standing in there and um, he was fitting her. And my spidey senses went off because he was talking about, you know, she's, she needs this insole because X, Y, and Z. And all I kept thinking was, but she's so young. Like, could we help her with some functional movement of some way, shape or form so that she didn't need a a high, because what I remember of this experience was it was a very highly corrective type of insole that he wanted to give her. Now I'm springing this on you, but because you're like an insole expert, when do we need them? When don't we need them? Like, when is it just a purely upsell for the store? When is it something we really should consider? You know, what? give us the lowdown on um, insoles. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And um, I thought we were going to miss that question. So I'm really psyched that you um, brought that up. Um, so to all of you listening in, um, I, about five years ago, um, started designing and developing my own insole brand. And uh, we make them in South Korea. I, I had to get 20,000 inserts here and they're up in my garage. And, and it was uh, quite a process to build our own um, heat moldable product. But I'll, I'll say this, that um, we, I'm going to show you or anybody who's watching the podcast. These are a couple of our inserts. We have um, Ted's to run and Ted's RX. I tell you, if I sell a thousand running shoes to people who are actually running in them, um, I'll probably suggest this 10% of the time. 
And I probably won't suggest these type of um, firm arch inserts to people who are dynamically moving unless they have a major issue going on, right? So unless they've got a pretty nasty case of plantar fasciitis, um, unless we need to offload pressure off the heel or forefoot or put a metatarsal pad in, they do work wonders for lots of people. But if your feet are not ailing you, this is oftentimes just you know, it's just probably going to get in the way of what you're trying to do. In fact, I'll, I'll talk about Thomas who works here. He runs a hundred miles a week. He runs really fast. Our days in the store, we're on this concrete pad for eight or 10 hours. He can't work in here without a pair of these footbeds under his feet for standing all day because his feet just get jacked up. But all of his running shoes, he just wears the regular sock liner in because he's light, strong, efficient, you know, fast. And, and I'm jealous, but you know, a lot of my, um, a lot of my employees have found whether they're young, old, healthy, not healthy, that standing all day, or if you're in an environment where you're standing on concrete all day, you know, a footbed that's got some some really good uh, medial support can offload the pressure on your feet and just make things a little bit better. Um, but really, from a running perspective, um, if you put a gel insert in, here's, here's my question to you. We're going to run barefoot on the beach. We're going to run four miles. You have a choice to run in the hard sand by the water or the soft sand by the land. That gel insert is the soft sand by the land and your feet are going to be so tired putting a gel insert in. So, you know, allow the shoe to do its thing. But if you've got you know, some foot ailments or some issues or need to offload pressure, I think that's when you should try and insert. But I, I wouldn't overly su suggest it or sell it. I really wouldn't. And so when you're saying if you've got some issues and, and I, we're not we're not trying to specifically diagnose people that are listening to this, because as we said before, everybody needs to have their own fit. You know, if you've got uh, air quotes, foot, foot issues happening, like you need to see your doctor, but could you put it into like generalized buckets of if you are experiencing X, Y, or Z, then you would be a good candidate for a footbed or you just not want to go there because it's too, too much of a generalized bucket. I mean, I think whenever there's, there's pain somewhere in the foot region, um, sure. I mean, Megan, you're thinking, well, where's it coming from, right? Is it attached somewhere else? Could it be um, upper extremity reaching to lower extremity? But, um, you know, when there's pain, there's inflammation somewhere. And so sometimes a footbed that you can put into a shoe, if it's a good footbed, there's a lot of junky footbeds out there. We encourage you to take that insert and, and put it on a table and press the arch. If you can flatten the arch with your finger, what's your body going to do? It's never going to support. It's The inserts inside these shoes are, are sock liners. They're, they're not designed to cradle your foot. Um, when you put a, a footbed in your shoe that has a really deep heel cup, I kind of equate that to like putting your heel in a salad bowl. So now you're, you're pressing the soft tissue on the sides of your feet underneath your heel bone, and now you're utilizing your natural cushioning, right? So a firm insert like this actually provides more shock absorption than a flat gel insert would um, because it's just your heel is going to go right through it, not using your natural cushioning. So it does offload some pressure off the off the big toe, right? We have a big arch push here. It'll take some pressure off the big toe joint. Um, you know, we know rocker shoes have become really popular shoes that don't really bend in the forefoot. So, you know, the like Hoka's are, are kind of becoming that whole copycat shoe brand because you really can't bend them. They, they roll like a bicycle wheel. And that's really helpful to for people with arthritic big toes or maybe forefoot pain. 
Um, and also, you know, dropping your heel down, a lower drop shoe takes pressure off the ball of your foot. So you can do a lot of this stuff even without an insert. Um, but again, I would only encourage people to try an insert if they've been diagnosed with plantar fasciitis, if they just can't walk barefoot anywhere, their feet are killing them all the time, or if you're really just standing all the time, they will help you. Um, but from a running perspective, um, I think it's important to just listen to your body and see what you what works best for you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't let it be an upsell for you always. And just a point of clarification, when you're talking about these gel inserts, you kind of mean the ones that you can get at like a drugstore that you just kind of, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because the ones that you're showing, not that people can see, but like the ones that you're showing are a little more hard molded foam as opposed to like the blue squishy ones that I'm thinking of like, hey, I can go to Dr. Scholl's, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, you know, remember the whole are you gelling thing where they drop an egg on the insert and it, the egg doesn't break? Well, what's an egg weigh? You know, the egg doesn't weigh 160 pounds, right? But, you know, we call it the press test. So if you put that insert on a table and you press the arch, you shouldn't really be able to collapse that arch. It should it should bring the ground up to your foot. And it helps allow the fascia to rest underneath your foot. It, it really helps relieve it. But it's, again, this is something that Megan and I have talked about. We don't want to stop the foot from doing what it needs to do, right? So an overcorrective orthotic um, in a young person really just stops their foot from reacting, right? And we know that the bones in, in children's feet don't calcify until they're 10 years old. So let's let's be smart about this and let's just, you know, let's just put good shoes on. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a good um I'm I'm glad that you said that because I think, you know, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so if you're a shoe guy, you just see everybody feet who need shoes and insoles and all of that, but that's not how you operate, which is what I love about you amongst other things, but that you recognize that these are functional tools, but that we also as runners and just human beings in general need to put in the requisite work to make those structures strong and mobile and resilient so that we can a have a really good quality of life just day to day, but also, you know, 2.0 of that is to run a 5k all the way up to 500k was what I always say to just make it, you know, go crazy with it. But that's the, that's the part that I think is really important is that these are functional tools, but that we also have to take ownership of what's going on. And sometimes that's as simple as just instituting some of the same like foot and ankle stuff that I did at the clinic at your shop, but also it maybe it could be a professional visit. Like maybe you do actually need some of these wedges and lifts that you're talking about. Maybe you need surgery, but you don't know until you have a, um, a professional assessment, you've seen your doctor and you come up with, you know, kind of a plan versus, Oh, I'll just slap an insert in there and, you know, be, be done with it. So well, and, and Megan, I think it's important for people to know, and, and the people that are listening to these podcasts and watching you and, and working with you, we, we know that running hurts. It's not easy. Running is not easy. And so, you know, the first thing that a lot of people do is they blame their shoes, right? Well, this shoe caused my knee to hurt or my back to hurt. Um, and I think it's really important to remember that overuse can cause a lot of issues, but really, um, you know, the shoe, if it fits right, if it's really just covering the top of your foot and absorbing impact, it's not going to have a, a scenario where it could lead to a hip injury or a knee injury unless the shoes are five years old, right? And not absorbing any impact. So um, people tend to say, 
oh, I don't like the pain I'm feeling right now. I'm not going to run through it. I'm going to blame it on the shoe. So there's a balance here, right, to, to run through that a little bit. And I'm sure you can speak to that too. Well, and I think um, to kind of circle back to our zero drop discussion, I've mostly seen people have a very quick response to shoes and tie them to pain when they go from something like that 24 and 12 ramp that you were talking about right down like they basically pitch those shoes and go directly to zero drop and um, I'm thinking of one one person in particular who I I have worked with who she made this switch and I kept asking her like well what are you doing like why are you what did what did you change and finally she came back to well I've been messing around with all these different shoes and I you know they don't make the shoe I like anymore so I went to these zero drop and she basically had no she had never kind of transitioned herself like slowly phased in the zero drop she just went 24 to zero <laughs> and that's where I think I see a lot of the the pain air quotes pain coming from because people just assume well, it's not that big of a deal. My old shoes, they didn't seem to have that big of a heel. I'll just do zero drop now. And then what's really happening is that that minute change, and you can you can add or you know change the statement, but like that minute change has huge effects up the kinetic chain. Oh, yes. And and the question that, that you have to ask is what shoe are you spending your day in? You know, what shoe do you wear all day before you go to a zero drop shoe? Are you wearing a elevated heel to work? Are you wearing a wedge? Are you wearing sandals? And and um, when you drop the heel, you put strain on the Achilles. If you go run completely without shoes on barefoot for three miles, you're going to run on your tiptoes. Your calves are going to be flexing the whole time, right? Your calves are going to be really sore. So there's absolutely a, an adjustment period to those lower extremities. The calves are going to be sore if you run zero drop from zero to 60. It's absolutely going to scream at you. So you know, kind of um, whatever I, I try to say that four millimeter to zero is in, in what I call that minimalistic category. So if a, sh a shoe has a four mil drop, I still kind of call it that that proper barefoot running techni technique. Um, most shoes really aren't much more than a 10 mil drop now. And, and actually fall of 23, we're seeing most everything go to eight. So that's a really good thing. But if you've ever had um, an Achilles tear or you've had tendonitis in your Achilles, this is probably something that you want to be really careful of um, and not jumping into that too quickly. Maybe you do need that 10 millimeter drop shoe because the strain on your Achilles, if you've had a history of, of uh, ruptures there or tears, micro tears, uh, it could be leading to a, a bad place. So just really kind of ask yourself, have you ever had any calf injuries, any Achilles issues before you try to jump into dropping that heel? Awesome. Well, Ted, I think that uh, hopefully we've given everybody kind of like the foundations of good running shoe selection, kind of a 101 class. And I, I know for me, I've even picked up a couple new tips and tricks that I know like you're always good for a few shoe uh, pearls of wisdom. So I appreciate you coming. Do you have any like final thoughts or do you want to share anything that we, we might have missed during our uh, our conversation? Yeah, I think it's just, Megan, it's really just really important not to kind of overthink it and, and make it too overly scientific. And, and don't let those silos, you know, so many places want to say, well, I want to see if you're pronating. Let me see the way you're walking and standing and, and pronating is, oh, we got to get you a support shoe. You know what, if you haven't had issues before with, with ankle, knee, hip alignment stuff or pain or injuries, 
don't worry about these silos. Just put a shoe on, and if it feels beautiful out of the box, buy it. If the shoe fits, keep it simple. I love it. Well, Ted, um, where can people find you um, if they want to like learn more about the store, order shoes, or just kind of follow you and find some some more shoe wisdom? Where can they find you? Um, Megan, you can find me um, uh, tedsports.com, T-E-D-sports.com. Uh, we're on Instagram at Ted Sports. We're on Facebook. Um, and I really love emailing. I love to, to talk with people over the phone. So uh, pop me an email anytime. It's info at tedsports.com. And, um, you know, during the pandemic, we were doing these virtual shoe fittings. And I think I sold 500 pairs of shoes virtually without even seeing somebody's feet. Um, and so we would have, you know, people put their phone on the floor and I would I would watch you do some dynamic bending and, and kind of um, one lady was running down the street and showed me her old shoes. But we sold 500 pairs of shoes virtually and not one of them had to be returned. So I think it's important not to overly complicate this thing, but yet the needs assessment is important. And um, just listening to your body is, is great. And Megan, you're such a good teammate to me. I appreciate all your help. Oh, thanks, Ted. And I, I, I had no idea that you sold that many shoes virtually. I think you should come up with some sort of uh, like, you know, specific service for people who want to have shoes fitted or have them themselves evaluated to have actual really good running shoes. Cause you know, there, I was, um, this is kind of a side thought slash tangent, but you know, I work with people kind of all over the country from California to Maine and Florida and all over. And especially I, I can feel their pain because even though we have you and you're half an hour or so away from me, there are people that, that don't have access to a good running store with somebody who is as knowledgeable as you, you know, oftentimes it's, like you said before, high school or college kids that play sports and they have some knowledge of what shoes fit them well. Um, so I think to be able to have a place, a resource where people can go and actually, you know, set their phone on the floor and have you look at their feet and watch them walk and can kind of help them navigate this process is huge. I, I had no idea that you did that. So it's yeah. really cool for well, me to learn. I tell you, it was one of those things that we thought, well, maybe this is one thing that we'll continue doing if this pandemic ever ends and and it was just uh, so labor intensive and I have a really busy store. So um, as much as I want to try to bring that back together, it's, it's just hard to do, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. But you know, the one, the last thing I'm going to leave everybody with is that um, you know, when we listen for feedback from our coaches, we listen for feedback from um, you know, friends that we work out with or just anybody in general to, to make ourselves better. And that's why we're all listening to this. But, you know, if, if you do go to a local running store, they're the local running community. They want to support that vibe. And if you don't have a good experience, they have to hear it. And, and if we, you know, we always hear about the planes that take off, but not the ones that crash. So, or, or vice versa, we always hear about the planes that crash, not the ones that take off. So, you know, if you have a bad experience, these stores are there for you and they have to try to help you. And if they're not, that's when you got to move on. But I really would encourage you to, to just remember that local shops are owned by mom and pops and, and they're willing to help you if something's not quite right. And that feedback, I just, this is like a personal side note, like that feedback shouldn't come in by way of like a bad Yelp review. Like that feedback should be you like going to the store, like talking to the manager, sending it a, a civilized email being like, Hey, here's my situation. Here's the outcome. What can you do to help me versus these guys don't know jack shit. Like, <laughs> you know, like that's not, that's not how it should happen. Well, isn't it funny? All the mom and pop shops get the reviews, right? Good, bad, or indifferent, but we can't give Amazon a one-star review, can we? 
you know, I mean, it's, it blows my mind, but um, no, I just, I appreciate the time and, and thank you all for listening and, and pop me an email, call me anytime. And I'd love to chit chat with footwear with you. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely link up all your information in the show notes. And uh, I encourage all of you guys that are listening to go and follow Ted, follow the store. If you live locally, uh, go and support Ted and check, check out. They, they do a, a run from the shop. They have all sorts of cool events there. Every once in a while, I get invited over to teach a class or two. <laughs> And we have some oh, fun. Do it again, Megan. My oh, my feet were sore for three days after you came here. That was amazing. That was amazing. We had such a good time doing toe, foot, ankle work the last time I was there. There's rumor that we're going to do a hip class sometime soon, but um, definitely go check out Ted. Ted, thank you so much for spending some time with us. And uh, hopefully, you know, we got a lot of questions, so maybe we'll do uh, TED Talks uh, 2.0 oh, oh. here and we'll do another another episode. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Megan. Thanks, Ted. Okay, you guys, how awesome was that? I always learn new stuff when I talk to Ted, like that tip he gave for how you can tell if your shoes are too big or I guess too small by where they bend in the toe box. Like, did you guys know that? Anyway, make sure that you follow Ted over on Instagram at Ted Sports. I'll throw all of his links down into the show notes. And if you've got questions about shoes or you're like me and you just want to geek out over shoes, he's your guy. So there's only two weeks left until the Barkley Fall Classic, which means it's like crunch time for me, time to gather up all of my stuff because we're actually going to be road tripping it down to Tennessee for the race and then taking a little kind of mini vacation afterwards. In the next episode, next week, I'm going to talk about the BFC kind of you know, as much as I can. I don't know how much you know about the BFC, but there's like a little bit of secrecy around all that is involved in it. And what I'm going to do is just share, like I said, as much as I can, but a little bit more about kind of what I'm going to bring with me and how I've been prepping for the race and, you know, how you prepare for a race whose course you don't know anything about until either the day before or the day of the race. (laughs) So if this is interesting to you, don't miss that episode. And if you're curious about our adventures down south, make sure you follow me on Instagram because I'll be sharing a lot in my stories. Then when I get back, it'll be just a few more weeks until Ghost Train, my 100 miler. So I'll be giving you guys an update on that, including what my packing list looks like for that. And the first time around, the first time I did a 100 miler, I spent copious amounts of time online, basically Googling what to pack for a 100 mile road uh, trail race. And (laughs) so now that I've been through this experience a couple times, I'm going to share, you know, some tips and tricks and thoughts about how you can go into your 100 mile race as prepped as possible. So once that's over, um, it'll also be time for another round of run farther, faster, stronger. So more to come on that, but suffice it to say that it's going to be the best round of the program yet. I can't say any more without getting too excited and then giving away all the details. So just stay tuned. In the meantime, enjoy this beat and I'll see you all soon.